0: It's old-timey, crimey. I am Christy. And I am Amber. And we are here, as always, with your historical true crime for the week. We have a very special and interesting case for you that's a little bit out of our normal range, but for good reasons, so and we'll get to that in a second. But as you'll hear later in the show, you should definitely be thinking about coming and joining our Patreon. We are currently investigating a possible serial killer uh, in the 1910s in uh, Illinois. <laughs> I've been struggling with Illinois and Ohio not being the same state <laughs> this
1: week. They are not, but you know what? There are a bunch of maps out there that actually tried to make Ohio not a state, so...
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so yeah, it's been interesting in my head. My brain is not branding well, so yeah, but... Amber told me today about the third murder in this series, and we found some interesting new angles. Uh, I really liked what you had to say about the seasonal thing, because they happened in November and February. All three murders. February, November, February. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, it seems like a solid thread to keep following. So... We're gonna keep looking at
1: this. I actually kinda wanna go back and just sticking on that February, November, February, go backwards and forwards and see if there were any other murders
0: that took place during those months in Aurora. Or generally in the area. That's a really good idea to narrow it down to those months. That helps to narrow down the search if we end up finding something there if it ends up being fruitful. So, so yeah, we're having a really fascinating time over there looking at these cases and looking at these murders that happened. And then just kind of authorities kind of stopped caring because then there were no more murders in the area. And they were like, yeah, we're good. We're good. Yeah, it fixed itself. We're good. Yeah, yeah. Nobody needs any justice here. What murderer? Speaking of finding justice. So the case that we're looking at today is a little bit different because it's out of our self-prescribed time range. You know, but it's it, our show and we can do whatever the hell we want. Exactly. Why make rules if you can't break rules? That's what I'm here for. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's in 1960. And normally we stick to as of this year, 1953 and before. So that's a little bit different for us. That's close enough. It is close enough, yes. We got the seven-year itch, guys. <laughs> there you go. And so there's another aspect to this case that really drew me towards it, and it's that we can help do something about it, which we'll tell you about after we tell you all about the case, but that is so rare these days. I mean, you think about some of the unsolved cases that we've looked at, famous stuff, like the boy in the box and and should and stuff like that, things that everybody's sitting around like, okay, somebody come up with something, we have DNA now, and that is the case here that we could, and you, our listeners, could help to find some resolution to this case. We can do it. Yes, we can. So let's talk about Nancy Eagleson. Butts. So in 1960, Nancy was 14 years old. Her parents were Dawn and Betty Eagleson, and she also had a little sister, Cheryl, who was five. They lived in Paulding, Ohio. So Nancy was a high school freshman. She was said to be very friendly. And this was just a kind of a standard family. Don was a World War II vet. He worked at a bowling alley. Betty worked at a drive-in restaurant, which is very, it's all very 60s. I love it. It is very 60s.
1: So I actually read in one article that Don had like a Monday through Friday job out of town. And he only worked at the bowling
0: alley on Sundays because it was his brother's. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Nancy was pretty shy growing up, but she seemed to be coming out of that. And people were saying, okay, she's friendly. And she got her first boyfriend at age 14. They'd gone to the county fair a bunch in September and then homecoming together the next month. It's all very pure and wholesome and sweet. I know that that is so sweet.
1: Because, you know, especially back then, this was like a wholesome courting thing. Uh, My six-year-old has announced to me that she has a boyfriend. (laughs) He has not agreed to anything.
0: (laughs) Well, of course not. But
1: she does not care. (laughs) And that's going to be very telling for the rest of her relationships throughout her life. (laughs) You're my boyfriend. No, I'm not. Yes, you are.
0: Those are going to be some fun train wrecks. Yes, I can't (laughs) wait. So his name was Joe, Uh, the article that I got that from was not available online on any of my digital sources. I saw it in a news video about this case and then proceeded to pause the video in order to try to read as much as I could from they had it like on the screen but like tilted and it was cut off at the bottom and I also could not read Joe's last name. (laughs) So I couldn't do much digging into that. He was on the football team He ran track. It seems like he was something of a star on the track team, actually. And Nancy also did what so many teenaged American girls did, what I did, too. She babysat for extra spending money. And so the previous Saturday to the events we're going to be discussing, she had bought her very first pair of high heels. Aww. I know. Every detail is just... (laughs) too sweet. And she was going to wear them out and about on Sunday, November 13th, 1960 for the very first time. So the account of that day that we get, uh, we have put together from a combination of both of her sisters, because there is a, another sister, Meryl, who comes along after these events, uh, her mother, who talked about it about five years later, and newspapers of the time and the following years. So, Meryl, her sister, tells us that Nancy went to church that Sunday morning with her Aunt Mary, and then she was wearing a gray plaid suit and a pair of heels, that very first pair. Some accounts said a black and white, but it can be both, you know. And she and Cheryl, who was five, went to the movies. It was around 2 p.m., they went to a double feature matinee and they walked there, that was about half a mile. Uh, one of the films that was showing was David and Bathsheba, which is uh, stars Susan Hayward and Gregory Peck. And the David in the movie is David of David and Goliath fame. If you want to see a really 1960 uh, trailer, Look that one up on IMDb. Because it is something. It's, it's a, fun, a fun watch. <laughs> I'm going to have to do that. Yeah, it's, it's entertaining. They need to make trailers like that again. I need that in my life.
1: Oh, careful what you wish for, because that's all they do is bring things back.
0: That is true, yes. They finished up the double feature around 6. Then they popped into a nearby restaurant for a couple of sodas. They were there about... An hour and a half and then they stopped at the bowling alley where Don Eagleson worked, their father. He couldn't take them, so they decided to walk the five blocks home. And even that five blocks do you do you remember the blisters of your first pair of heels? Yes. I, yeah. It's it's very much a, a moment of oh yeah, this whole womanhood thing is painful. <laughs> yes. Yes, that is accurate. My mom got me a pedicure before my first time going to France. And once I was there and I bought a cute pair of shoes, some nice wedge sandals with little leather flowers on them, uh, I learned that you should not get a pedicure before going on a trip where you're going to be doing a lot of walking because they uh, they buff off the calluses. <laughs> and the calluses keep you from getting blisters. My feet, after one day in those shoes, were basically just entirely blisters. Nice. Jackson had to give me a piggyback ride back to the hotel. (laughs) So it's 7.30, thereabouts. This is November. We're in Ohio. Sunset would have been more than two hours before. It's pretty much fully dark at this point. Cheryl's account of the day, the evening, at least from the papers, says that usually they would cut across a field to go home, but they noticed a car following them. So they stayed on the street, maybe trying to stay closer to light, closer to houses, etc. That took them past what locals called, quote, the spook house, which was an old abandoned filling station at the corner of the street where they lived, Klingler Road. There were also no sidewalks. And while the area was in the city limits, it's more of a village or a bedroom community with a population of less than 3,000 that year. It's funny because all the papers say 2,300. Every single one. They must have all gotten it from either the same source or from each other. And yet the actual census has like 2,900. So 600 people just apparently... Up and left. Up and left, yeah. We have another mystery to look into, guys. (laughs) We're gonna find 600 people. So some accounts have the car being big and black. It slowed down, then pulled over. The driver asked the girls if they needed a ride. Nancy said no. We're only a few doors away from home. They're about four to five houses away. So close it hurts. It physically hurts. So the man swings down the road, turns around, drives up to them again. He pulls up on the wrong side of the road and asks for directions. Cheryl said that the man got out of the car, walked around the front, and then grabbed Nancy's arm. Nancy fought back and ended up on the ground. And then Cheryl either jumped on his back or tried to grab his shoulders. He must have been getting, I imagine probably getting down on the ground to lift Nancy up because she was five. So how else is she going to jump onto a grown man's shoulders? But I I love the moxie of these girls. You know, Nancy's fighting back. Cheryl's five. The attacker hit Cheryl in the stomach and she fell too. I'm just guessing I'm imagining probably an elbow. That's when somebody's on your back, that's probably your best bet. And especially if you're going for the, to hit the stomach. Cheryl said, quote, as he stood in the car, he blocked the door. I couldn't see what was happening, so I jumped on his back. He threw me back on the ground. So she, she tries. They know they're in danger. The man then put Nancy in the car in the back seat. He got into the driver's seat and drove away, leaving Cheryl behind and Nancy's purse on the ground. Cheryl described him as about five foot eight, kind of heavyset, quote, with a belly like Santa Claus. Oh, my heart. That hurts. Also said that he had horn-rimmed glasses and thought they might have thick lenses that made his eyes look bigger than they were. You know how the, the thicker, like, Coke bottle glasses back then. Mm-hmm. And she also thought he had a physical disability of some kind. Cheryl also reported that the man smelled like he'd been drinking, but the girl's mother, Betty, her theory later on is that what Cheryl really smelled was maybe chloroform or something like that, quote, which accounted for Nancy's submission after a frantic struggle, end quote, Jean Rockwell reported in the Lima News five years later.
1: That would definitely account for that if, if we went from fighting to not fighting. And it does take a few minutes for chloroform to take effect. It's not as quick as you see in the movies.
0: Yeah, and it's also, it's also not as certain, just a, just a by the way. A l- too little and it won't have any effect too much, you might kill them. So, yeah, the movies definitely kind of tend to mislead us about that.
1: And everything, really. Well, yeah,
0: that too. <laughs> everything else, yes. So Cheryl then ran to a neighbor's house and told them what happened. The neighbors called police. Police went out searching for Nancy, but they did not find her. Instead, uh, kind of sources vary a little bit. One source said 1 o'clock and some other sources said 2.30 a.m. Some raccoon hunters were out and they found Nancy's body eight miles northeast of where she was kidnapped. Police said the killer had made no attempt to really hide the body, and it likely wouldn't have been found for quite a while if not for these raccoon hunters.
1: Yeah, so I, I believe that her body was found about 100 feet off the road. Mm-hmm. So even though it was still in a clearing, unless you're in the woods, it's not something you're going to find. Mm-hmm.
0: Every hunter has to know. After all the stories of hunters and children finding bodies, That if you go out there into those woods, there's every chance you might find a body.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure they expect more, like, deer antlers, but it's,
0: um, yeah. it, It does happen sometimes. It does seem to, yes. So Nancy was fully clothed, except for her undergarments, which were found nearby. The autopsy did find that she'd been sexually assaulted. And then the man after that shot her in the chin... And the bullet exited kind of towards the top of her head, forehead area. There's a small caliber. I think I read 32 caliber somewhere. And that kind of is important to know one way or the other. The coroner set the time of death around 9 p.m. So an hour to an hour and a half after she was taken. Here is the evidence that was taken from the crime scene by police. For investigation in 1960, a bullet fragment from her skull, semen, uh, her fingernails that were cut, and I just have to imagine from that that it was... The clippings
1: of her fingernails.
0: Exactly, to check for any tissue or anything underneath them. Her purse and the contents of her purse. But wait, I thought it was left on the street. Technically both are crime scenes. Okay, fair, yeah. Uh, and there were, was a letter, we, I don't know anything about what was in it, and money in her purse. The high-heeled shoes, of course. The dress she was wearing, which had blood spatter on it. The coat also had blood spatter on it. Her scarf and necklace, her bra and underwear, her garter belt and pantyhose. And hair taken from a tree branch around the, the place where the body was found. Oh, Now, police start looking into known sex offenders, and within two days of the murder, they're questioning a man named Robert Stovall. I just love the descriptions of him from the South Bend Tribune, a 17-year-old former mental patient, a psychopathic liar, and a goateed beatnik-type young man. Although the Chicago Tribune has him as 22 he had lied to the police about his age and then revealed his real age.
1: Well, he is a liar, so... Yeah,
0: and psychopathic liar at that. He's from Detroit. He was arrested at 2 a.m. Sunday in Laporte, Indiana, in a car that was stolen from Chicago. He was wearing blood-stained clothes. And the way they describe these clothes, man, from the South Bend Tribune, the inside of the suspect's overcoat was saturated with blood, and his trousers were also covered. He claimed that the blood was from a bar fight the previous month. Um, that doesn't quite add up. No. At, at all. He is questioned in relation to the Eagleson murder, but he's really more directly questioned in relation to another murder that happened that same weekend, this one in Chicago, the shooting of nine-year-old Gloria Kowalowitz. Now... Her body was found in a forest preserve. So we've got woods again, partly disrobed. She'd been walking the four blocks to the 8 a.m. Saturday mass at her church when she disappeared. That's just a nine-year-old walking to mass and gets snatched off the street. I mean, (laughs) there's too much wholesomeness, it hurts. Her body was found around noon, about four hours after she was last seen. And the forest preserve was 14 miles west of that spot where she was last noticed. And she was found 100 feet from the road, just as Nancy would be a little over 36 hours later. They also found her shoes and purse near the body. Oh, a little nine-year-old's purse. (sighs) She had been shot twice in the head. Possibly with a 32 or 38 caliber, but thankfully, at least in this case, the autopsy reported no sexual assault. This is right next to Nancy Eagleson's obituary in the Lima News. There's an article about the search for Gloria Kwalueta's killer. It's a, it's probably the worst article placement I can think of. Right next to the obit, you know. Stop doing that, old-timey newspapers. You know what, though? I feel like sometimes
1: it, it gives you a little moment of, like, um, levity, I guess. I, I was reading about the one for the tiny, and then underneath that was how to, uh, to cure constipation. Oh, yes. Yeah, so so it- I was like, you know what? I actually, I think I kind of needed that just to, to be like, okay, stop here. <laughs>
0: Everybody before 1950 and back further and further and further until, you know, the point where the newspaper was invented, everybody in that time period was constipated. Everybody. (laughs) Everybody. Are you low on energy? Yes. Why, yes. Yes, I am, newspaper. And so the thing is, is they're questioning and looking at this stoveball man, for the possibility that he was involved in both the Kowalowitz murder and the Eagleson murder. But every account I found had him being arrested and questioned Sunday at 2 a.m. You might have noticed that was more than 24 hours before Nancy's body was found. When they found Stovall, Nancy was probably asleep at home, in bed. So... It seems like they were just really eager to try to find someone, and they saw all these similarities between the two cases and got tunnel vision, is my thought. Yeah. So he's definitely, as long as, long as he was certainly in police custody miles away in Indiana at the time, he, he's out of the question. And it does seem like he was in police custody the entire time. The police in these two jurisdictions got together to talk about the similarities between Gloria's and Nancy's murder, and there was talk of picking Stovall up on the way back to take him to Chicago for the auto larceny. He does disappear from the newspapers pretty quickly, so it seems like they realized the timing issue made him completely non-viable as a suspect, and they backed off and then they just kept quiet about that fact because it doesn't really look good for them that they're like, oh yes, this man who has been in police custody, surely that's our guy. I mean, we had him, but we didn't actually
1: check in his cell there, for uh, 12 hours. So I mean, technically...
0: Maybe he left. And then came back. And then came back because criminals do that, yes. So the one report that I found that he was cleared... Didn't include his name. Oh, nice. And had an age of 50. So I'm not even 100% sure it was the same guy. The details were similar, but who knows? Nobody. Maybe it was
1: like our last case where they just arrested 42 people and then sniffed them all out. Oh, yes. in the
0: tiny that Amber told me. (laughs) As soon as the murder happened, they were like, all right, round them all up. 42 people. Let's go. All right. Let the dogs sniff them. Very enthusiastic. But... Just because one potential suspect in the Kowalowitz case was cleared of any potential involvement in the Eagleson murder doesn't mean the two aren't connected. It may, he's maybe responsible for neither murder, and there could still be one person who committed both of those murders. It's, it's very possible somebody could murder Gloria Kowalowitz on Saturday morning in Chicago. And then drive is just a few hours to Paulding. And then they have plenty of time until the next day. So I'm just saying, like, that's still in the realm of possibility. That doesn't disqualify the Kowalowitz murder from being connected to the Eagleson murder. Was Gloria also assaulted? The autopsy said no sexual assault. Okay. But she was partially disrobed.
1: So it could have been interrupted or it could be the the same killer,
0: but escalating and very quickly. Yes, very quickly, within 36 hours. This really comes to a standstill very, very quickly. Just two days after Nancy's body was found, the police are like, well, we got nothing. They spent an entire day canvassing the area and going out and trying to Find out, you know, has anybody weird been around? Have you seen anything suspicious? And they just had nothing. Betty Eagleson said that the police did do a lineup and they had Cheryl try to pick out the killer. She picked out a man and said, quote, that's him. But Mrs. Eagleson said that the police didn't put much stock in Cheryl's identification because she was young and obviously traumatized. Nancy was buried on November 17th. Over 500 people attended, including many of her classmates. And the sheriff, you know, they're still trying. He had his men checking the cars of the funeral goers. There are around 100 cars. I don't know what, just checking any big black cars, maybe. I, I don't know what they expected to find, but, you know, may as well look. They start looking at people. And, you know, you always start with the people who were around the victim. And so a friend of the family is uh, Virgil Johnson. He owns a local restaurant, and the police are taking a special interest in him for a, a short period of time. His daughter was a year younger than Nancy, and the two girls were friends. The police interviewed him. And he's like, yeah, I heard rumors that you were looking at some local businessman. And they're like, yeah, you. That would be you. That would be really awkward. Yeah, it would be.
1: Hey, can I get you a coffee? No, where were you
0: on Thursday? (laughs) He did give them his, his alibi. He had been at the theater with his wife at the time of the abduction. He also took a polygraph, which I don't know if I've ranted about the BS of polygraphs on the show but just so you know they are BS. Yes. If, if it's not good enough for the courts it's not good enough for me is what I like to say.
1: Ho ho ho
0: ho. I feel like you need that on a t-shirt. Yeah right and so he did that voluntarily and the police cleared him in early December. There's a local reward fund, and by mid-December, it's at $5,000, which is close to $50,000 today. I love it when the conversion to modern currency is so easy. When it's like, yeah, just multiply by about 10, and you're good. Yeah, that's always nice. It started at $1,000 from the county prosecutor's office. And then people and businesses and organizations around town started chipping in, an article in the newspaper when it hit 5000 obviously had a good effect, as two days later there was a new article stating that the reward fund had increased to over $6,500. So just a little something to put into your mind how putting a case out in the public and being part of sharing it with other people and making sure it's more visible can draw more attention and draw more resources to it. Just something to keep in your head. Just, just something to keep up there. It's not foreshadowing or anything. Not one bit, no. I just randomly would like you to remember that for no reason. Two different men with histories of criminal charges were looked into, but both were cleared. Both would go on to be eventually convicted of similar crimes, and one of them was executed. Oh, wow. Yeah, but it seemed like just a brief look-see at these two guys and then clear them.
1: Well, back in the day, though, they did kind of believe anybody that said they had an alibi as long as they had somebody else to back them up, because I made Christy practice. She was with me,
0: officer. (laughs) Oh, the day that I have to say those words will have been a long time coming. Right. (laughs) So in March of 1961, the police start looking into another man. That is 30-year-old Thomas Ball who lived in a nearby town to Paulding. He was arrested on suspicion of assault after a 20-year-old woman came forward and said, "Um, yeah, he, he assaulted me, but he was also cleared of involvement in the Eagleson murder. Probably one person said he was with me. Yep. And everything was really quiet after that. It is so amazing to me when you see a case lose steam and traction and you can tell just by scro- scrolling through the newspaper results, the search results. You know, you look at the dates, and all of a sudden the dates start getting further and further and further apart, and you know this is completely stalled. So five years after the murder, Mrs. Eagleson spoke to the Lima News in a retrospective about the case. That's where I have pulled some of this stuff. She said that Cheryl remembered the night of the murder still and was still very afraid. I mean, that is incredibly traumatizing. Oh, I bet. They had tried getting her medical treatment, didn't help as much as they had hoped. They even tried hypnosis with a doctor. Uh, They said that the first two treatments seemed promising, but the third was a failure. Poor thing. And what uh, Mrs. Eagleson said about her daughters, quote, Cheryl loved Nancy. They were inseparable. But Cheryl has changed now. She isn't a loving child anymore. She's afraid to get close to anyone emotionally for fear she might lose them as she lost Nancy. Oh, my goodness. It is heart-wrenching. And so, regarding her own response, uh, Mrs. Eagleson, and her husband, Don's, she said, quote, I can talk about it now, but Don doesn't say very much about it. It really broke him up. They say a woman can adjust to something like Nancy's death better than a man or can cover their feelings more or something. Maybe that's the way it is with me. I hide the hurt. Keep it inside. She said at the time that she felt the police had done the best they could do. As for theories, she felt pretty strongly that the murderer was a local because it seemed to her like he knew the area. She thinks perhaps the killer or thought perhaps the killer saw Nancy and Cheryl having their, you know, sodas in the restaurant after the movie and then stalked them. But I feel like with it being such a small town that
1: Nancy would have, like, recognized the person if she knew him.
0: I mean, I mean, she's only 14 if she if she did know him. She might have recognized him,
1: because even the house that Cheryl ran to was um, somebody that babysat them. Like mm-hmm. this was a really close knit community. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the family is is pretty certain now. Uh, I've been in contact with their their you know, public facing uh, person who helped me out some, and they they feel pretty strongly that it was uh, both a local and somebody who knew Nancy. Oh wow. So um, it could have been somebody who knew her, but she didn't know very well. You know, she's a teenage girl. She's starting to have her own life and everything. So I, I don't know. This is all, that's all, of course, rampant speculation on my part. But that just seems to be the family very strongly thinks that it was a local.
1: Well, yeah, because, I mean, this is a small town, and it, I, I don't think it's, like, a town that
0: really gets driven through. Mm-hmm. And if it's dark even if she can see him she might not recognize him yeah so if she does know him it might be a case that it's dark there's no light in the car there's no light on the street and you know you can very easily disguise your voice and she might not have even had enough time if if it was in fact chloroform that, that made her you know stop fighting back she might not have even had enough time to really register yeah and also think about seeing people out of context you
1: know, oh, that's true. When you're young, especially when you see like a teacher out at the store,
0: you're like, you don't live at school. What? Yeah, <laughs> I thought you slept under your desk.
1: That is a good point. <laughs> yeah. That is a good point. Is seeing somebody out of context, especially in in the evening at at nighttime when you can't really see anyway. Mm-hmm. It is very possible that she wouldn't have even put it together, and it
0: definitely, you know, didn't have very much time to put it together. It seemed that at the time, uh, Don Eagleson thought the killer was from out of the area, staying in a motel maybe, quote, a hunter who, and this is from the, the newspaper article, a hunter who committed the crime on the spur of the moment, melting back into his home region when it was over. The county sheriff said in the 1965 article that he was pretty sure the killer was from out of town, quote, the man is sick. He can't help himself and he would have killed again. We would have had another slang on our hands if he were a local man. Which could be, but you've got cases like, all right, to bring up a famous serial killer, Israel Keys, all right? He normally would go out of his home area to commit his murders. And what really got him caught was working in his home area. He kidnapped and murdered a girl from a copy stand as she was closing up for the night. And that was in the long run, you know, kind of by a a chain of events, what got him busted. He used her (laughs) debit card. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you have cases like that where you have somebody who does sort of like that hunting style of killing. And most of the time they go out of their, their home area But it's entirely possible that this wasn't that. It's not a
1: hunter. It's somebody who knew Nancy and became obsessed with her. Possibly, yeah. And and was watching her movements and going to the movies on a Sunday night wasn't out of the norm. What was out of the norm is usually she would wait for her father to be done at the bowling alley. So he knows a ride home. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Knows her schedule.
1: And so when sees the
0: deviation from the schedule, sees an opening.
1: Exactly. Yeah, Exactly. Absolutely. So I'm like, it is totally possible it's somebody that not only knew her, but was already kind of just obsessed with her and tracking her movements and saw an opportunity to just go. Mm-hmm.
0: And then there's that other case. I'm blanking completely on the name here. But that case of the young girl who was kidnapped from her home. Her parents were murdered. And it turned out that the murderer and kidnapper had just seen her at the bus stop and developed a fascination for her. Yeah, that's true. So... A lot of possibilities. Yeah. The police at the time in 1965 said that the case was by no means closed. And, of course, the article mentions that Nancy's mother is getting calls from people who are just beyond redemption, I think, who claim they know who the killer is. You know... Crank calls.
1: That's just hilarious. Look, guys, don't do that. Don't ever, ever be that
0: person. It's just so sick and in the pettiest way. I I will never understand why people are like, oh, this person is suffering? (laughs) Let's make it worse. Just in such a trolling kind of way. I hate it. I hate it. So that's kind of where everything left off. Now, I mentioned that after Nancy Eagleson died, she had another sister born, Meryl. Uh, Her last name is Miller now. She would later take up the mantle of her sister's cause and search for justice. And she's still doing that today. That is why we are here. So Jean Windsor, a local teacher in Paulding, also got involved after retiring She had been interested in the case for years. She did an interview with uh, TV station WPTA 21, and she said, quote, It's haunted me all my life. It haunted me that they were never able to solve this case. And here is the thing. The family was reassured in 1984 or 85 that the evidence that had been collected, all that stuff that I mentioned, had been preserved. It was being stored at the old jail. They later learned at some point that almost all of it was gone. That's not going to help you solve the case, is it? Nope. So in 2013, a little less than 10 years ago, there were some renovations going on at the old county jail. And the workers took down a wall and they found this passageway between walls. Somebody said there were shackles on the wall. Oh, my. Yeah. Um, They did find bones, but they were determined to be uh, from animals. Sure, sure. (laughs) And they, uh, they found a shoe in the passageway. A high heel. Yep. So Meryl, first, she did this very scientifically, I think. I like the way she went about this. She had her mother describe the shoes that Nancy had been wearing. The day of the kidnapping and murder. And so her mother described them. And then Meryl showed her mother the shoe that was found hidden at the jail or lost at the jail. I'm not sure what the best terminology is because we don't know. And it was a match. Nice. They did send the shoe away for DNA analysis, but they got no DNA profile from that, which I mean, it's not in a bag. It's not stored properly. DNA degrades over time and quality, and that was 2013. We've made a lot of progress now, even in just the past nine years, in being able to pull up DNA profiles from smaller and smaller and smaller samples and older and older and older samples. So here are the estimated cost of efforts to solve this case if it can be made to happen. They want to exhume Nancy's body in order to collect DNA and see see what they can find. This is pretty much, aside from that shoe, the only evidence left is Nancy herself. So that would cost for exhumation and reburial, $10,000. For use of a forensic laboratory, $2,000. For examination and evidence collection, $1,500. Lab fees to search for DNA that'll cost ten to twenty thousand dollars. genetic genealogy to you know if the DNA is found, use that DNA to track down someone ten thousand to fifteen thousand. so the totals run from thirty three thousand five hundred to fifty one thousand five hundred, depending on all those variables. I mean, when you have like ten to twenty thousand there's a lot of room there, yeah and so. There is a GoFundMe. More. (laughs) They're trying to raise $50,000 in order to at least try to solve this case. And this is from the GoFundMe page. Quote, in all likelihood, these estimates are low and there will be other unanticipated costs. Anymore, fighting crime is high tech and high priced. But the science is invaluable and nearly infallible. Any funds left over after all bills are paid will hopefully be used to purchase a memorial for Nancy or establish a scholarship fund for high school students pursuing higher education. So we are going to put our money where our mouths are and we're going to donate some money from the podcast fund to the Nancy Eagleson GoFundMe. Absolutely. Which is a very exciting thing to even be able to do, considering how all we can do is just research cases. And so I would encourage you, if you can, please donate. If you can't, there's still something you can do. Remember what I said about that fund for the reward going from $5,000 to $6,500 after just a couple days because it had been talked about in the press. Raising awareness, bringing more attention to it. Share the GoFundMe link. Absolutely. We can do some good here, guys. Yeah. We actually have a chance to do some good in an old-timey case. (laughs) I actually got goosebumps. I'm like, we could find a killer, guys. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. And this is happening more and more every day. The way that I found this case, I am subscribed to a, pun fully intended, criminally underused subreddit, called Genetic Genealogy News. And so I'm just scrolling through my Reddit feed and I see this link to an article about, you know, a 60-year-old case that is being looked at and could potentially be solved. I go, it's a letter to the editor of the Lima News and it's from Gene Windsor. I, I saw that. That's how I found this all to begin with. So yeah, it's amazing that we can be part of this and can try to help. And even just another more modern example. So I saw the case and looked at the GoFundMe and then like the very next day, there was that article from the local TV station, WPTA 21, that was published and then they linked it to the GoFundMe. And the GoFundMe, I was able to watch an anonymous donor sometime in that time period, $500 they dropped on it. Nice. So you can see this gaining traction. And we could find justice. We could help find justice. As Gene Windsor said in the very letter that led me to this case, quote, all that is needed for the injustice of this crime to be perpetuated and even multiplied for 61 years. All that is needed is for good people to do nothing. And so let's do something guys. In addition to donating to or uh, sharing the GoFundMe, I found something else uh, that the family actually hooked me up with. Nancy Eagleson has a profile on this website I'd never heard of called uncovered.com. And they have what they call citizen detectives. You can sign up to be one. And then you can look at cold cases and help pull information in. So let's say you're one of these people like, oh, I don't know us, who really likes reading old newspapers and digging through all that stuff. You can contribute in that way. sort of like crowdsourcing, finding the information about these cold cases. And so I would encourage everybody, if you are interested in this, to consider going to Uncovered.com and seeing if you can help fill in some of this information about people who are missing or have unsolved murders. One thing that we're going to do is, in the future, do a couple of these cases. And as we do them, if, you know, we're accepted as citizen detectives by Uncovered.com, uh, contribute that information. I mean, we save all the links, anyhow. Yeah. So we can just go and put the links in and, you know, even potentially use that as an organizational tool to help because they have a timeline as well that also links to to resources. So say, you know, one part of the timeline is say in the Nancy Eagleson case, the kidnapping itself that has links to articles that talk about that and then so on and so forth throughout the entire timeline. It's a nice, nicely organized thing there. And so, yeah, I found a couple cases. They don't have a ton from our time period, but they have enough that there's some there's some stuff we could do there, for sure. So we're we're doing a lot of somethings. We're doing a lot of somethings. <laughs> yes. So okay, that is the Nancy Eagleson case. Donate, share. Let's do something, guys. Let's let's do something. I'm loving. Do it. I'm, I'm some things. Very very excited. In case you couldn't tell. <sighs> So, okay. I found some recipes. Oh, no. And then today I got an email with a recipe from one of our beloved listeners. So, this from Shannon. Uh, I'm not sure if it's Shanann. There's there's a two A's. I'm never sure how that one's pronounced. Uh, Brent. Okay, so Shanann Brent. She has a cookbook from her great-grandmother called The Way to a Man's Heart. I love it already. <laughs> she, she put in parentheses, eye roll, twitch. <laughs> I, love I love it. it. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, quote, among other things, like learning how to feed my invalid and learning that a two-year-old can have hard candy between meals as a snack, I found this recipe. Oh, Lord. All right. So this is ginger snap sauce. Oh, Four ginger snaps. I'm not going to give full quantities, I'll just read the ingredients. Brown sugar, vinegar, onion juice, hot water, fish or soup stock, a lemon, and raisins. What? Mix all together and cook until smooth. It must taste strong of vinegar and sugar, and more of either may be added to suit taste. Grated gingerbread for filling, page 14, may be used in place of the ginger snaps. Pour while hot over fish, meat, tongue, and leftover meats, and serve cold. Ugh. Yes. Ginger snap sauce, yes. And uh, Shannon said, I mean, who doesn't love a good ginger snap, lemon, onion, fish sauce with raisins or something?
1: I'm also super confused as to how you, you... Heat it until smooth if there's raisins. How? There's no such thing as smooth after you put raisins in.
0: I guess everything but the raisins is smooth. We're mixing onion juice and ginger snaps and fish stock. I don't think that logic is really applying anywhere on this trip. I don't know,
1: but I want I I think I want to make this. Mm-hmm. Just to know what it tastes like. Because in my head, I'm like, lots of recipes will have sugar and vinegar because they, they complement each other. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that's okay. And, like, onion juice, I'm fine with that. I know you're not an onion person. I love mm-hmm. onions.
0: <laughs> it's only half a teaspoon.
1: And and so, yeah, maybe just for some, like, umami. And ginger is used in savory A lot, and so maybe the ginger snap is just to add, like, some ginger and some sweetness. But I also don't think it'll taste good, but I kind of want to try. (laughs) Morbid curiosity. I am a glutton for punishment here.
0: And you pour it over what? You pour it over meat? Meat, yeah. And then let it get cold. Yep. Pour while hot over fish, meat, tongue, and leftover meats and serve cold. So that's that's interesting. Thank you very much, Shannon. And and any of our listeners, you can send your, your disgusting recipes to <laughs> old at gmail.com. And we're going to be uh picking a, a couple winners and, and sending out some swag, probably some treacherous tarch stuff. That is that is a good one though, because like I can't wrap my head around that one. Yeah, I know. It, I'm still working on it. It makes no sense. Uh so. I I will go ahead and give mine just because it is from 1960. So I feel like it's, you know, that was definitely, that was interesting. (laughs) An interesting search. The Jello was out in full force. So this is a tea snack. For a tea time sandwich filling, use an elegant combination of finely chopped ripe olives and pecans blended with cream cheese or Roquefort. Roquefort. Roquefort? Roquefort. Roquefort. Yeah. Roquefort spread. Trim crusts from sandwich bread spread with olive-pecan mixture and cut into tiny triangles or squares. Top each open-faced sandwich with ripe olive slice or pecan half. Doesn't say whether you're using black olives or green olives, which does change the flavor profile a little bit. I'd eat it. I just don't know about cream cheese and olives and then nuts. We might have to try this. This is probably one of the easier ones. I would absolutely eat it.
1: Okay. I would absolutely eat it because in my head I'm like I bet that tastes really similar to those Asiago stuffed olives that we used to love. Oh, we did
0: love those. Oh yeah, those were delicious. Oh, those were so oh, good. I think we need to have a tea party. It. We do need to have a tea party. We love spilling the tea. We really do. So, yeah, that was...
1: uh, I would eat that. Maybe not with ginger snap sauce, though.
0: Oh, I meant to actually do the banana cabbage salad. I'll save that for next week. Banana cabbage. (laughs) Banana cabbage salad. Because I found, like, three of them. And I thought, oh, that was good. But one one of my other recipe clippings was covering the banana cabbage salad. So next week, you can look forward to hearing about banana cabbage salad. The, the one that did not win was um, just very plain, but I, I feel like you're making a soup here. Because it's called Good Appetizer. Pour chilled champagne over very firm pineapple sherbet for a refreshing dinner starter. Serve the remainder of the sparkling wine during the meal. So you're basically making like champagne sherbet soup. So I'm down with
1: that, but I'm gonna switch it to raspberry sherbet. And that Ooh. is what I call the champagne
0: ice cube. That sounds great. I like it. So yeah, that one I just put in there because We will like, also do
1: that at the tea party.
0: Yes, we'll have some champagne. Shibet. Sure <laughs> yes. So, all right. Uh, thank you, listeners. Um, you know, the usual stuff. Uh, every, everything you could possibly use to support us or say hi or whatever is down in the show notes. All the various links. And we do appreciate even just giving us your ears and brains and hearts for, you know, an hour to two hours every week. It's very much appreciated that you choose to listen to us. And I really, really would love to see some some action on that GoFundMe. I'm excited. I'll be watching it. (laughs) I too would love to see some action, guys. On the GoFundMe. Uh, On the GoFundMe. And welcome to new patrons, Elia Cummins, Kelly McGee, and Holly Evans. So, yeah, what you doing this week, Amber? I
1: am uh, gardening, actually. Well, I'm not gardening. I am forcing other people to garden. So I don't know if anyone knows this about me, but if I touch a plant, it dies. I'm not kidding. I have... Done research on how to take care of plants. My daughter left town one time and her tomato plant blew over. And all I did was pick it up. That's it. <laughs> didn't touch the dirt. Didn't touch the plant. Only touched the outside pot. It died. There is something wrong with me. And so I am making all of my kids garden. Uh, the Easter Bunny brought them all their own gardening set. Oh, how nice of the Easter Bunny. Um, My six-year-old is uh, very into colors and... um. She will be picking out the flowers. My four-year-old boy loves to dig holes, so that is going to be his specialty. Bonus. And then uh, my eldest, I actually uh, let Carter know when we moved in the house that it was her job to uh, make pretty all the areas for planting and gardening. There you go. So, uh, yeah, we're ready to go, and I'm not going to touch a thing. I will pay for the things. If I touch them, they'll die. <laughs> so that's where we're at. Yeah. Projects.
0: Projects. Well, you know, it's, it's good to have kids who will find out if they have green thumbs or not.
1: They do. They actually, um, the two little ones have already done oh, my dad's flower garden, and it's gorgeous. That's right. Yeah, they helped out your dad. Yeah, there you go. It skipped a generation. Like, my dad's really good at it. My kids are really
0: good at it. I cannot yeah, we don't get amber flowers or plants.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I, I try. I do try. It's just it's not something I can do. I I know my limits,
0: and that's very good. It's very and what important are you doing limits. this week? Um, I am. I'm probably gonna be in the bath a lot because I think I um, like. Sprained a, <laughs> strained a muscle. Uh, coughing from my wonderful allergies because the pollening has begun. The pollening. Uh, so it hurts a little bit. And yeah, I'm probably going to be in the bath a lot. Uh, I have acupuncture this week, so we'll keep on seeing how that's going. You should really take a picture while you're in acupuncture because I want to see you look like a uh, pinhead. Yeah, they haven't done anything on my face. Oh, okay. It's all been in my back and my legs. so i haven't which is fine with me that because i don't have to see it (laughs) i'm a little disappointed (laughs) well i am considering seeing if acupuncture helps out with seasonal allergies so maybe i won't you know in the future cough myself (laughs) into injury so maybe for allergies they'll put them in the face if they do i want a picture just of course i would send you a picture you know, I just—it's hard to take a picture when you're laying on your stomach and somebody's shoving needles in your butt. <laughs> it's lower back, so butt gets involved there a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm doing this week, and I also have downloaded like a bunch of books from Scribd. I just kind of went crazy the other day, and I was like, I want to read that and that and that and that. So I'm going to be doing a bunch of reading. All the books. Uh, all the books. So, all right. That is our show this week. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you next week with more historical, true crime, good telling of bad stories. How about that? Good telling of bad <laughs> stories. I like it. And uh, just, you know, for our piece of advice this week, maybe don't try to claim that the blood on your clothes is from a fight a month ago. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's going to believe you. And if it is, uh, think about maybe changing your laundry routine. Yeah. Yeah, just a little bit. So, okay. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. My sources are a Nancy Eagleson's GoFundMe page, uh, the letter from Jean Windsor of Paulding on LimaOhio.com, the Lima News by Jean Rockwell, WPTA 21 by Tom Powell From newspapers.com The Marion Star South Bend Tribune Chicago Tribune Indianapolis Star Lots of stars and tribunes The Daily Advocate The Evening Independent And the Delphos Current And a thank you to Merrill Eagleson uh, I got in touch with her for the case And she put me in touch with Jolene Rice Who gave me some info And linked me some imp- important sources So much appreciated
1: Uncovered.com, WPTA21.com by Tom Powell, TimesBulletin.com by Nancy Whitaker, Newspapers.com, The Lima News, Delphos Courant, Marion Star, Telegraph Forum, ProgressNewspaper.org, and LaughMemories.com.
0: Stovall up on the way back to take him to Chicago for the auto-larceny. Larson, no, larceny. Let's just clap. <laughs> We can clap if you
1: wanna. We can leave your (laughs) friends behind.
0: Leave my screw-ups behind.